If you're joining us tonight and it's your first time uh, here on a Bible class night on Wednesday in a while, or maybe you're listening for the first time, uh, we are studying the Hall of Faith, or what we've called the Hall of Faith. It is Hebrews chapter 11, and where the Hebrew writer mentions uh, individual after individual uh, in the Old Testament times that exemplifies faith. And our hope and prayer as we've studied these individuals is that we come to know what faith is and looks like in our own life. I don't know if I'm the only one in here who ever feels this way, but sometimes I struggle to have what we read be more than just a set of ideas. I don't know if you ever struggle with that, with your faith of, okay, I get the information a little bit and these facts and figures and these belief systems, but it's also meant to be a relationship with God. and It's also meant to be more than just simply a set of ideas. And what I really love about this chapter we study is that while there are ideas in there, there are stories of real people and what they really went through. And while you and I cannot understand all of their circumstances, um, we, we don't know what it's like to go into the battles like they faced or to live 180 years or some of these crazy circumstances, we can understand what it's like to be human and have to live by faith in a God that uh, in a world that maybe doesn't see it that way. Or we have to, we understand what it's like to live by faith, to see what's unseen to us. And so I hope, um, I hope something's been beneficial to you this quarter. And tonight, uh, we talk about Gideon. Uh, Gideon has found his story in Judges. And if you want to open your Bibles to Judges chapter 6, uh, we're going to be there tonight. Gideon was one of the judges. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with this section of Scripture... Uh, Judges follows the book of Joshua, which was God has led the children of Israel out of Egypt, freed them from captivity. They are now on their way to uh, receive this promised land, this promise that has gone all the way back to Abraham, this promise of people and a place. And so they have now gone into the promised land with Joshua. He has led them to the land of Canaan. And after Joshua's time, he warned them, you need to stay faithful to God. And the, the children of Israel, they don't. They get in what we call like this cycle where they're good for a while and then they fall into sin. And their sin has consequences. For our uh, story tonight, they're handed over to Midian for seven years, I think it was. And they deal with these terrible consequences and they suffer at the hands of other nations. They cry out to God. God will come raise up a judge and he will... Uh, enforce justice and he will save them. And so they come back and they're good for a little bit. And what you'll find in your Bibles, it says, and they did what was evil inside the Lord. And they just do this cycle over and over again. You ever feel like that in your life? It's like, Hey, I'm doing good for a while. And then I have a low point and then I have to come back and I repent and I cry out. And I don't think God is saying, Hey, just do that cycle throughout your hot life. But we relate to it in a way. And so here, uh, with this one, Gideon is the judge that's raised up. Now, before we start reading in Judges 6, here's what the Hebrew writer said. We're at this point now where they're not all individual statements of, you know, by faith Sarah received the ability to conceive, or by faith Noah constructed an ark. We're getting to the point now where you hear preachers do this a lot. And some people say this Hebrew letter is really a sermon. But you ever heard a preacher say, oh, I could talk about this forever, because I could also mention this person and this person and this person. And what we often do is you say, well, I won't get into that. And then you listen to us get into that for like 25 more minutes. Um, here the Hebrew writer is like, hey, what more could I say? Listen about all these other people. He doesn't really actually go into them though. So there's a lesson for me to learn uh, about preaching. But 
Notice what he says. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon. That's what we're going to study tonight. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. I don't know if the Hebrew writer had one specific um, action. You know, there's that list of actions or things that happened through faith. I don't know if it was one was attributed to each person or maybe multiple did. If you were to think about Gideon's story, we could say he enforced justice as a judge. We could say maybe in a way that him and, and his battle, we'll see, they were made strong out of weakness. Maybe we could apply, we could apply he was mighty in war. And we could apply that he put foreign armies to flight. And so there are a few things that you could say he did these by faith. But what's interesting for us is in the earlier people, we said that's what he mentioned about their faith. Like constructed an ark. That's what he mentioned. Here we kind of get to speculate or just think about it in our own way uh, with this story. So by faith Gideon, we get to him tonight. And first let's start reading in in Judges chapter 6 verse 1 through 6. We have a little bit of reading to do, and we'll skip some of his life. But it starts off by saying, here's this phrase you find over and over in the book of Judges. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains, and the caves and the strongholds. I don't think God put them into the promised land for them to live in caves. Okay, they're pushed out. And it says, for whenever the Israelites planted crops... The Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So that they laid waste the land as they came in and Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Um, Before they fall into sin here, Deborah and Barak, I think we're actually studying Barak next week. Deborah was a judge. Um, They were used to answer Israel's cries the last time in this book as we've been recorded the history. Uh, They were given over uh, into the hand of King Jabin. That's the story, if you're familiar with it, with the, the, the person that dies through the tent peg. In your Old Testament, if you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, wait till next week. Um, but they were handed over there for 20 years. And after they had been saved, there had been 40 years of rest. So they've been 40 years of rest, God ruling, um, no issues that we know of. And then this happens. They turn over and they're with Midian for seven years. Uh, God had gave them over. The issue really is anytime they try to plant a crop, <laughs> they came and took everything. Uh, they, they took their cattle, they take the livestock, they push them out. What would that make you as a nation of people if that happened every time? Poor. Okay, you are in poverty. That is a struggle. Um, there's a lot of issues there. So they're dealing with this for seven years. And of course, these people who every time they try to provide for themselves, they just get taken advantage of, they cry out to God. You know, this situation doesn't work. It's not working now. It's not going to work long term. I'm sure they're having many consequences or results for this in their life. And so they cry out and he raises a judge. And we see this in verse 11 and 12. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth of 
Oprah, that's no, not Oprah, uh, Afra, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. There it goes. You see the idea. He's even having to hide him beating out wheat from these people. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So Gideon is raised to be a judge. He would be the uh, fifth judge over Israel in the book of Judges. And uh, he is called. Hey, I want you to, uh, you're going to fight these people and you're going to save Israel or you know, redeem them from the situation. And what's interesting is immediately as he's called, Gideon had doubts from the beginning. If you look at verse 13 through 18. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Just pause for a second. You ever hear that phrasing in our own head sometimes? What do we say? Yeah, if, hey, if you're God and you really are with me or I'm your child, like, why is this happening to me or to us or to this nation? Or you go down the list. And we use this for a lot of things, right? Uh, health problems, family issues, uh, financial situations. Uh, you go down the list, you know. Uh, God, why is this happening? If you're really with us, why has all this happened to us? That, that's one doubt, he says, uh, you know, right off the rip here. Um, hey, I've heard about you. What's going on, though? Are you really with us? Keep reading. Um, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Once again, pause for a second. You know, he's grown up hearing these stories that happened years ago. God, this mighty God, who's our God, he's with our nation. He redeemed us from slavery. He has heard our cries. He saved us. But God, I'm looking around and I don't see that anywhere. You know, where are you? And this happens with us, doesn't it? You know, I've heard these stories of God's greatness and how he's intervened in in the life of his people. But I'm looking at my life at this specific moment. And it's, where are you at? You know, I think of young people who their life, we don't get to pick when we suffer in life. Some of us experience tragedy earlier than others, some of us much later. But I think about that first time you experience it in life, how it kind of rocks you. Because you grow up hearing about a Jesus loves me, this I know, and you hear all these stories of grace and greatness. But then you're like, it hits, something in your life hits and you go, well, God, I thought, thought you loved me or I thought you've always been with us. Well, where are you here? And so he's having a, he, he sounds very human, doesn't he? Doesn't he sound a lot like you and me in this moment? Uh, he says, God, I've heard about you, but where are you? Um, look at what Midian's doing to us. And the Lord turned to him. If we keep reading, it says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Okay, pause real quick. He has a doubt about God. You know, are you sure you're with us? I don't see it in my situation. What's he doubting here? Himself. God, I'm, I'm in the weakest clan of Manasseh. Now, Manasseh, when have we heard them in our stories that we've studied so far? That's one of the half-tribes of Joseph, if you remember. Manasseh and Ephraim. So, You know, they're the last ones to be considered a tribe. It's a half tribe. You know, I'm the the weakest. I'm least in my father's house. So it's not only am I have a little bit of doubt in God, I also doubt me and our strength and my ability. And the Lord responds to him and says, 
but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Um, If we pause again real quick, you notice every time God calls somebody to do something, especially in the Old Testament, whether it's Moses or Joshua or whoever, and he tells them to go, and they have these like big eyes of, you want me to do what? God always gives them confidence by saying a similar phrase. Do you know what it is? It is never, you are great, or you can do this by yourself. It is always, I will be with you. He is trying to point them back to who is the one that causes all of this to happen, to, who, to the one who really has strength, who can accomplish anything, to the person we should have our faith in, not ourselves. But he says, I will be with you. Um, there's a reason Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9 is, is most people's favorite verse. It's, it builds confidence and it's, it's comforting. And he's saying it here uh, to Gideon. I will be with you. And keep reading. He says, and he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from me here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So he doubts God, if you're with us, why is this going on? God, I'm not, I doubt myself. And now, God, can I be assured this is really you? He has a lot of doubts. And so he wants to do this test in a way. God, is this really you? And if you keep reading in verse 19 uh, through 24, it says, Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot, and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat of the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. And then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day it still stands. If you pause for a second, you know, he has all these doubts. And so they have this little test in a way. He makes this little test. And so, you know, he puts this stuff out, God tells him to, God consumes it. And God actually would do this later. We're not going to read this next part. He tells him, go tear down the altars in town. He's afraid to do it, but he does it, so he does it at night. Um, you know, I, there are probably are repercussions. The people contend against him, but they end up not, you know, taking him. They say, let Baal do it. You know, let the God he destroyed his altars contend for him. So nothing really happens there, per se. But then after that, Gideon doubts again in verse 36 through 40, and another test like this happens. And if we pause real quick, let me ask you this question. And this is just subjective or... I just want to hear what you think. Do you find Gideon being a very relatable person from what you've read so far? How do you relate to him? What? When you fail? Okay. As humans, we want to see. Let me prove. Do something. I want to, you know, I want to. Show me. to be tangible in some way. So let me bring you this bread and this meat and yeah, we, we like tangible evidence. Um, that's one. How else do you find him relatable? No, you go ahead. God sees more in Gideon than he sees in himself. 
And a lot of times I feel the same way. And mm. I limit myself, but God's limitless. Yeah. And if I would live the way God wants me to and let his power flow through me, then I would be able to accomplish what he has given me. To do. Yeah, that's a good thought. You know, God sees that Gideon can do this task for him. And we would say, yeah, it's God doing. But God is the one who's going to accomplish what is accomplished. But he sees something in Gideon. And maybe for us, it's like, I don't, I don't see that. God, why, why me? Or why do you want me to do that? That's good. How else do you find Gideon relatable? Okay, God's always there. You ever doubt? I mean, we're people of faith, but don't you ever have these moments? Not that that is our life or that leads our whole life, but you know, there's moments of how's this situation going to turn out? Or how's God going to answer? Or can this really happen? Um, is this really God? Yeah, did you have your hand up? I am going through this right now. Hmm. Very, very, very relatable. I just read it too. Okay. Yeah. Should I do this? If I do it, is it really you or is it just me? You don't know. You don't know if it's God wants you to do this or is it you think that you're so great and you can do this. Yeah. And you don't know what to do. And you doubt. Yeah. You know that God is with you, but He. what I doubt is that Am I the person to deliver this message? Hmm. It's not the God I doubt. It's it's the me I doubt yeah, a lot yeah. of times. Yeah. If I, if, if I am not the right person to deliver the message, I might mess it up. Or yeah. Should I just trust because he's sovereign? You know, so I don't know. Yeah, so I relate. Well, I, I like that you admit that. I think all of us have probably been there in a way. And in some ways, it's if we could get our head around how great and big God is and his ability, maybe we wouldn't doubt ourselves as much because he's the one working through us. Um, but I think we're all there in different ways and we have these doubts. Uh, 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 to follow up with that is if I heard the voice of God say, hey, Jamie, go do this, I would probably test as well just because, I mean, it, it doesn't happen in this day and age. And well, yeah. if it did, it's like, well, we were also told to, you know, protect ourselves against... Test the spirit, see which is true. Like, yeah. You know, how far do you go down that? But I, I know I do the same. Yeah, and, our, and it's, it's a little different, too, in our day and age, right, compared to their day when he would speak directly to them in this way. Um, but we probably test, uh, for sure. Um, but, yeah. He was, he was helping you out. Thank you. Um, also, initially, whenever the angel appears to him, um, he seems angry. He's upset. He sees what's going on and, and his initial response is, yeah, you, you know, um, all this has happened to us. Where have you been? You know, he's yeah. angry. He sees what's going on around us and he sees that, well, life isn't fair. Things aren't fair. Um, and I think as, for me, we get to a good spot, you know, we're happy, we're comfortable in life and we want that to, to remain and whenever it doesn't, we were good and, and you did save us in the past and well, where have you been you know we're, yeah and that. they're in this situation because of their sin i mean he he let them he let this happen but don't you think there's this issue sometimes of like we look in our country and you know we we all sit and say god's in control right god's in control of everything and then you look around and you're like are you really <laughs> i don't mean that to be jokingly but I don't know if it's, are you in control? It's like, okay, well then why is everything that's happening happening? Or, 
God's in control of our life, right? And then you look at our circumstances sometime individually and we're like, okay, but what's going on? I think we have two. We'll go Bob and then we'll go, hold up. We'll go Bob, then we'll come to you, okay? Uh, in Gideon, at, at this time, you know, God usually took, talked to the fathers, you know, the heads of the households. And so yes, he mentioned that, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the youngest. Yeah. I'm the least in this house. Yeah. I'm the last person you should be talking to. So Yeah. Like, go call them first. <laughs> yeah. There. It's like Marty gets several out of time. Is it really coincidences or is it providence of God? You know, you really don't know. Yeah. Uh, but you see this doubt. Uh, this was 36 through 40. It's the second time this happens. Uh, hey, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on this fle- uh, on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. So, like, he wakes up <laughs> the next morning. He squeezes the fleece, and he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water, but, but the ground's dry. And it says... Uh, Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. God does it. He's like, God, please don't be mad. Please don't be mad. Do it one more time. And then he says, please let it be dry. On all the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground, there was dew. So he tests it. And he asks again. Now let's pause right there. Before we ask this question, do you knock Gideon for wanting a sign? Do you knock him? For that? He, he didn't have the history that we have to read yeah. and learn from. He didn't have all the examples that we're reading about in Hebrews 11. He, he was one of them. He was, he was being that. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he wanted to sign. But like, you know, some people might look at that and be like, lack of faith. But I think we all might be there with him. Here's another one. What do you make of God's reaction to doing this multiple times? Or maybe what do you make to God's lack of reaction? To Gideon asking for a sign. He's a loving, patient God. I love that you said that because I think of Father. You know that word we call God that God reveals Himself as. You know your kids. Or all of us as kids, we go to our father and ask him, you know, to do something for us. And maybe he'd teach us how. And you know what we'd always end up doing? We'd go to him again and ask again. And we'd go to him again and ask again. And as a loving father, they just do it. And maybe that's part of it here. It's like, hey, this is my child. He might not get it or be assured yet. Let me reassure him. Uh, your hand up. Uh, so, I did, but I forgot what I was going to say. Well, that's okay. <laughs> that's what happens when I talk too much. So. <laughs> If it comes back to you, just I'll we'll go there. Um, someone else have their hand up? Yeah. Well, a lot of questions. But okay. It's hard for us to relate, I think, because we're not in the position of power. He had an army, and God's telling him to go do that. It may have been a weak army, but he told him, weak army, go fight this stronger army, and I'll beat you. Know, I watched yeah. you the president of the United States and said, okay, now we need to go to war. You're like, man, I'm not sure about this. My advisors say this, and I say, you know, I'm getting ready to go kill thousands of people, maybe hundreds of thousands of people. Do I want to say yes to this war? I mean, can a, can a president of the United States do something like this and say, well, am I supposed to go to war tonight? Am I supposed not to? Yeah. And how does he make that kind of decision? You know, we, yeah. The Bible doesn't tell him to make that kind of decision one way or the other. You know, he is in a big position of power yeah, and leadership. I mean, we don't have that. So 
But that's the kind of position he was in. Yeah. But what we do see, too, is he is in this big power and position of leadership, so it's an important thing if he's going to go do this. But also, he's completely outnumbered. You remember what it said about Midian? What other people look like? Grasshoppers or locusts, they're camels, like specks in the sand, it would say. They're outnumbered. I mean, we're going to see it's 32,000 to whatever number that is. And 32,000 might sound like a lot, but not compared to the people they're going to fight. But um, it is somehow hard to relate to some of the circumstances. You are right. But uh, he asks for a sign, and God doesn't knock him. I, I think real quickly, just some thoughts if we stop there, which we're going to keep going. But, you know, faith has to start somewhere. You don't just wake up with it full and complete and mature. It has to start somewhere, and we're kind of seeing that with Gideon here. It's a process. Faith is a process. It's interesting you read the Gospels, and it says, and they believed, and then you go four chapters later, and it says, and they believed, and you're like, but I thought they already believed. Well, they're growing in their faith. Um, you know, faith, faith is not for us, or the growth of our faith is not always like a graph line that goes just consistently up. That might be the wrong way for you. Um, you know what I'm talking about, right? But it's, is our faith ever just like this? It's just always the same steps or the same growth over time? Don't you find it to be more like <laughs> kind of scribble, scribble sometimes? It's like your kids trying to color in the lines a little bit. It goes all over the place at times. Um, sometimes to grow, it, it takes some ups and downs and, and some pauses and some stretches. But it's a process. You know, he goes from scared and hiding when he destroys these idols uh, moments before that we didn't read. Later he goes into a battle completely outnumbered, and he does it. Uh, faith is a process. Family fight. Who wants to go first? I'm kidding. I will go here. Wait, wait, wait. You got yours? Joking. To the woman. <laughs> so, uh, Gideon, again, back to the whole, is it God? It had been 40 years, right, since somebody had talked to these people? Um, it had, they had 40 years of rest. So I don't know if someone had talked to them inter- intermittently or what, but it had been 40 years of rest. And so I can understand the, again, is this what's going on? And then at the same time, he approached the five times he asked God to prove himself with humility. Mm-hmm. He didn't say, well, you know, set that bush up. Yeah, I don't buy it. It was like, oh, God, please don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So There's something to be said about that. Patience is, you know, Isaac could ask me a thousand times to show him something. Yeah. And one time he's, well, you know, like, man. It's not arrogant, not right? It's, it's, it's humble. We'll go to your husband, we'll go husband, then we'll go to dad. All right. So I was just, I wanted to agree with what you were saying about faith growing and never really being finished. When I grew up atheist, a lot of people know that. I didn't grow up in the church. And I remember reading about the Catholic Church because they were the biggest show in town as far as Christianity, you know. And yeah. you read books in the library, and it was talking about how if you were the Pope, you were you were able to change Scripture if you wanted to. You spoke to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to you. And I remember thinking, oh, well, he's he's done. We're thinking he's he's reached perfect maximum faith. And, and I'm still learning that uh, we're, we're not ever done. Our yeah. faith is still growing, and it goes up, and it goes down. And As long as you are living, you're in the process of growth, or I guess you could be in the process of decline. But, yeah, it's never, you, there's never a perfect faith. There's a mature faith, but it's never arrived. Yeah, and then we'll move on right after that. I was just thinking about that right up that you 
gave after y'all had that uh, young adults gathering last weekend. Oh, yeah, shameless plug. Yeah. And you, you was talking about how your faith kind of goes up and down. And, yeah. and, of course, after one of those, when you go to something like that, it's so uplifting. Mm -hmm. Your faith has been enriched. And, and I, I was just referencing that as, as kind of like, you know, that would have probably been a high. You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You go ups and downs, highs and lows. Um, but there's some, just if we pause there, that would be it. But let's keep going. Chapter 7. This is where we get into the part where he tells them to go into battle of Judges 7. It says, Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Uh, just a funny thing I'm sure Gideon heard. I would love to know Gideon's reaction when God said, hey, there's too many of you to fight this battle. Uh, excuse me? Like, I've never heard of an army saying, we got too many people. Like, maybe a recon, like, spy mission, I can get it. And the way they fight is a little differently. But God, what's the reason why God says there are too many? Is he saying there's too many to fulfill the strategic mission I have? Now, what's his reasoning? If, if you have that many people, I don't, or he's, what he's really saying is, I don't want to give Israel any reason to give anybody credit for this victory but me. Like, I'm going to show you one way or the other, this has nothing to do with you, but it, it's me. And you'll see at the end of this, they, for a second, some of them still don't see it. But, so, there's too many of you. I'm sure that went over well with Gideon. Uh, it says, now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling... Let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. And then 22,000 people returned and 10,000 remained. I have never been a soldier, okay? The closest thing I got is laser tag with teenagers. Um, but I would imagine if you run into battle and you say, by the way, if you're fearful, if you're fearful or scared, turn back and you see 22,000 people just run home. I don't know. Do you want those people to go into battle with you? Maybe not. Um, at the same time... Would you take 22,000 scared people over zero? You know, you need all the help you can get. Um, but 22,000 go home. Um, and maybe they were willing to fight even scared. I mean, would you be scared if you're fighting an army then the odds seem insurmountable? Uh, but it says there's 10,000, okay? So you have a people who are numbered like the sands and locusts. And we got 10,000, which really isn't a lot compared to who they're fighting. And God says, the people are still too many. And I'm sure Gideon was like, oh, here we go again. Uh, Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink... Uh, uh, Maybe I missed a verse there. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water like a dog. So that tells you people, majority of them, are dog people. Okay, that's it. Um, no cats allowed. But anyway, it says, The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. 32,000 to 300. That math does not make sense to us, but it worked for God. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. The same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. 
But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. And then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. That's what they see. I don't think I would fight those people. But yet when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. So here's God working through these other people in their dreams. That Now Gideon is hearing to tell them, hey, here's your sign. God's taken this. Um, so while he's seeing all these great numbers of people, and there's just two of them listening, and there's 300 in the camp that they have, they hear this, and the reaction of Gideon is, is this. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. By the way, he didn't immediately go, I don't know if it was like he made an altar, I don't think that happened outside the camp, but he worshipped. You know, he praised God this was going to happen. He, he worshipped before the result. You ever thought about that? Before it happened, he praised this victory. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. He divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them in empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, and I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout, for the Lord and for, and for Gideon. And they do that. And what happens is the whole, I think I forgot the next to post the next verses on there. But what happens is they do this, and everyone in this camp... These Midianites, they turn on themselves. Trumpets are blaring. They have these uh, jars smashing. And they think they're being overruled by this huge army. And they all turn on themselves. And they just kind of wipe each other out in a way. And the kings flee. And what you see is Israel will pursue them. They'll bring back the heads of these kings. And they keep doing that for a while. Um, And it's kind of incredible. God defeats this huge army with 300 people with trumpets and torches and mason jars. Uh, like MacGyver, do you know who that is? You know, uh, like kind of make fun of MacGyver. There was a, like an old SNL skit. I don't know if, how clean it is, but it's like kind of made fun of MacGyver. Like how I got to defuse this bomb. What do we got? Like a piece of gum and a wrapper and a paper clip. And the joke was he always likes, you would talk about how crafty he was and never actually get to defusing the bomb and he would just blow up every time. But MacGyver, you know, he can defuse a rocket with a paper clip. It's like God's like, ah, I just need some trumpets, you know, a mason jar and a torch. And I, I can take care of that army. And uh, they defeat them. And I, we could keep reading some details, but I want to take the last 10 minutes to apply this uh, for our faith. And the first thing I see is this. Faith is trusting God when life doesn't make sense or when things don't make sense. If God told you that he wanted to take the army you were in charge of and divide it in that way, go from 32,000 to 300, would you trust him? Or if God said, I want to defeat an army with trumpets, would you trust him? Because that's what God does here. 
Um, he, he does things that maybe don't make sense to a person, um, but with faith they make sense because of the God who is asking. Um, God told him he would be mighty in war, that he would give Midian into his hand. And the entire way that he accomplished it is not the way we would do it. It's backwards. It doesn't make any sense to us. We would never say less people. We would never want the lopsided odds. We would never use the materials he used. Um, you know, if, if you watch sports, you can always go during the middle of a game, like to ESPN, and click on the score during the game. And it gives you like a percentage of who's going to win the game. Like in the middle of the game, or maybe before the game, it's like OU has a 85% chance of winning this game Saturday. What would you, what percentage would you give Israel going into this battle? Like, would it even get over one? Um, but yet, the odds are completely different when God is on the team. Well, those were really good trumpets, oh, they were really good trumpets. They were high quality trumpets, right? They were, they were great. Um, yeah. So, but. It doesn't make sense to Gideon, I'm sure, but yet it did because Gideon had faith in the God who called him to do it. Amen. He had seen the fleece and the water and it being dry. I mean, he had some resolve. Yeah. And God just had to help it along, you know. Yeah. yeah. He had faith in what he had seen previously. He had faith in the words being given to him. Um, but he knew because of the one who was with him, what might not make sense to him didn't matter. Because God would bring about this victory. Um, that's not what I was going to look at. Um, you know, Gideon could have reacted differently. He could have turned around. He could have not listened. But yet, instead, he blew a trumpet and he smashed a jar. He had lit this torch by faith. Uh, Gideon, while looking at an army that might seem weak, he saw strength. He went to battle because God spoke. And faith shows us that God can do a lot with a little, and that God can. Um, do things even when we don't understand how he's doing it or even when it doesn't make sense to us. Just that statement right there. Trusting God when things or life doesn't make sense. Is there anyone else in this chapter that that applies to as well, that their stories echo that? The men that were with them? Sorry, not, not Judges chapter. Hebrews 11. Sorry, we're not there. Hebrews 11. Can you think of anyone that had to trust God when it probably didn't make sense to them? All of them. them. You're going to have a child when you're a hundred. What? what? Um, We didn't talk about Noah. I I I love that story. Hey, it's going to rain. What's rain? Uh, Build a boat that's like bigger than two football fields. I don't know if they've ever even seen a boat before. Um, All the animals are going to come... What? Like, what are you talking about? Um, I'm going to flood the entire earth. And they've never seen rain. And I know a lot of the water came from the ground. But that had to, at first, what are you talking about, God? That doesn't make sense. But yet he trusted. Did it all make sense later? Yeah. I mean, a lot of these people. Uh, it mentioned. It mentions events in Hebrews 11. Jericho. Is that not one, too? Hey, just march around these walls seven times with trumpets. That doesn't make sense. But it does make sense with God. And so what might not make sense to us in our life, um, we still have to continue to live by faith, believing, trusting that God will make sense of all this in some way. You know, it could be how our life has turned out. I don't really understand how this is God's plan or how what is going to come from this. But we have to trust that God knows and God has a plan. It could be specific instructions or commands that God has given us and 
that one doesn't make sense to me, or I don't get why God would say that. But you and I have to trust in the words of God, even if it doesn't make sense to us. It could be a calling. Maybe God's calling us in this season of life to suffer. Maybe God's calling us to step out and do something that we're uncomfortable with. Even if it doesn't make sense, we trust. Um, how could God use me to say this or do this thing? You know, I don't, I'm not able, but if God's telling me to or God wants me to, I'll do it anyway because I trust him. When life doesn't make sense, uh, we're still called to trust. That's one thing I see. Uh, here's another one. Is that faith trusts when the odds are overwhelming. Anyone teach math in here? Or ever taught math in schools? Okay. Um, God bless your soul. Uh, I'm not, a, not really a math person, but that doesn't make sense, does it? Like you would, that's a wrong answer on a piece of paper. If it's a fair fight, you haven't planned well enough. That's a good one. Um, that's wrong. Like if I if I put greater than right there on a piece of paper for a test, I'd get marked wrong. But was it wrong here? No. Now my point is not with God. Math doesn't. Your numbers are wrong, though. My numbers are wrong. It should be <laughs> if I could get to the next sentence, uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, Uh, Marty, come on. I'm just kidding. No, uh, no, but you're right, though. I mean, there is, it's not 300 people. It's, it's the person with them. It's the one leading them. And that one is greater than whatever number you can count to or you can put on a calculator. And when the odds seem overwhelming, listen, with God, nothing is too great or too, uh, there's nothing too great for God. God can do anything. Don't, you know, never tell me the odds kind of thing. With God, He can do beyond our imagination. Are there any situations in life where the odds seem against us? Or as an individual or as a group of people? Do you ever feel like the odds are stacked against you in life? Anything you can think of or share in the three minutes? Go into all the world. I'm sorry, have you seen the world? And the numbers of people that don't believe and how they view us? Like, you want me to do that? Odds seem stacked against me. I'm sure it seemed that way to the 12 at first. Yeah? Hmm. Yeah, hold on a second. Yeah. You get news or get told something by somebody and it's like, that's scary. You know, odds seem overwhelming. But yet you look at this story and what does it tell you? It's like, hey, with God, he can do anything. He's bigger than he's bigger than that number you give to me. He's greater. He has ability. I hate you for making me cry. Um, what were you going to say? I think maybe he was teaching Gideon's father a lesson too. Yeah. Because his father spoke up for him and said, "You know, anybody going to contend for Baal? You know, they put people to death." You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, he could have been doing that. I, Aren't there so many situations in life, though, where it's like that? Where it's, it seems overwhelming? It could be something, you know, physical. It could be our family. Like a person we love that just has left. And how do I reach them? Financial? I don't know. Yeah. You experience. When we're younger, 
younger, we're, we're, in it, we're ignorant of these problems in the world because we have our parents. We don't realize they're, they're seeing trouble. You know, they protect us from that. And as we get older, the trouble comes closer and closer and closer. And so I feel like every, every as Kendra and I get older and older, that trouble is getting closer and closer to us and yeah. hitting us more and more directly. And so it's just yeah, the more life you live on this earth. Yeah, you just think, uh, I don't think it's possible for me to overcome this. Mm. Or, you know, to do this or, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's discouraging. Yeah. Um, you know, what did Jesus say to his disciples? But take heart, I have overcome. Um, we go through those situations in life, and who knows what's going to happen with them. But, yeah, man, if there's anything you take from this story, is never count out God. Never count out God. Uh, here was the last one. Is it remembers to give God the credit. We didn't read this, but at the end, they tell Gideon, we want to rule you to rule over us and your sons. And Gideon says, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. He didn't look at this situation and say, look what I did. He said, look what God did. And that's something for us with faith, is that we look at what God works in our life and what he does, and we say, that's, that, that's God. Like, our church didn't do that. God did that through us. Um, that's not me. That's, that's God. And, you know, how sad it would be if God works in our life and does incredible great things, and we try to take credit for it. Um, if we're going to trust him to get us through it, we should give him the praise when he gets us through it. Um, and so, hey, let's pray as we close together, okay? Father, we thank you for these stories of faith, and it is our prayer tonight that we would have this kind of faith, a bold, courageous faith, even that it has doubts at times or it's not always where we want it to be, that you would grow our faith to be strong, to face the overwhelming odds that that seem to be against us in life and that we face them knowing you are so great, that you're a miracle worker, that you do incredible things. And God, help us to trust that you deliver and that you, you save we thank you so much for being a father who loves us, who's patient with us, who cares for us. Uh, God, I know there are so many situations uh, people are dealing with in this room tonight, people that are watching online are dealing with. Uh, God, my prayer tonight is whatever situation that someone is facing tonight, that you would help them to trust in you, and God, that you would work and defeat the odds, defeat the odds, heal, and defeat the odds and, and reconcile people back together, defeat the odds and bring people back to you in a right relationship. Uh, defeat the odds in the homes of, of these great people. Um, God, please work. We love you, we thank you, and we trust you, and we can't wait for the day that you overcome everything, you make everything right, and we're with you forever. Uh, this is our prayer together in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. All right, thanks for being here. I appreciate you. And uh, you're dismissed. <laughs>